Welcome to the Relax and Go podcast, episode 10, The Predictors of Success, part one. Welcome to the Relax and Go podcast. Today we're going to be starting a three-part series on the top 10 predictors of success. Now, I teach AP psychology usually just about every year in the past 16 years, I've had a section or two of AP Psychology, and every year I like to start the year with a, some, some psychology stuff, but not necessarily heavy AP Psychology content. And one of the things that I introduce to my students is this list that I've had for decades. And I'm sorry, but I don't exactly have when and what the list, where it came from. All my notes kind of say is that it was uh, agreed upon by some Ivy Leagues. And if you know anything about Ivy Leagues, this is not common. Ivy League schools typically argue with each other just simply because they argue with each other. It was a few years ago that the guy in charge of managing the Harvard endowment was fired because the guy that managed the Yale endowment was outperforming him for a couple years in a row. That's how competitive the Ivy Leagues are. So I always thought it was interesting that this list was a mutual collaboration from a couple Ivy Leagues. And I apologize, I don't remember the sourcing of this, and I couldn't tell you which Ivy Leagues in particular, but that's what I wrote down on my you know, my notes many, many years ago when I came across this list. And it, it was easily uh, 20 years ago that I came across this list. But anything I've learned from years and years of teaching and years and years of coaching is that this list no doubt has stood the test of time. So today we're going to start counting backwards from 10 down to 1. This will be part 1 of the top 10 predictors of success and we are going to be going in order, uh, you know, a countdown type format. So we're going to start at number 10 and then get all the way down and they do appear in order of importance. So number 10 is actually very important, but number one is a much stronger predictor of success. So without further ado, let's jump right into this and get into number 10, experience. In terms of predicting somebody's success, no matter whether it's athletics or academics or you know, uh, obtaining a trade or going to college, one of the things that cannot be overlooked is your experience level. How much have you done of this in the past? And the more of this you have done, whether it's testing experience on standardized test or racing experience or learning a skill or trying to learn how to code, whatever it is, whether it be studying or racing or practicing, the more experience you have in doing this, the more likely you are to be successful as you practice and acquire this skill. Experience is learned. It is gained usually through trial and error. And I always love the statement that, you know, the original statement is, Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And I love the statement, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. I think that is an invaluable tool for athletes to incorporate and for athletes to 
embrace that you know making mistakes is part of the learning process and you're going to acquire things from time to time that were failures but were invaluable lessons in your uh, experience and you learned from it and you moved on from it and you know we know the definition of learning is a change in behavior due to experience so if you gain that experience and you changed your behavior and you're more likely to be successful because of that change then that's a good thing you maybe you didn't come home with a first place medal or maybe you didn't get an A on the test but you acquired something you learned something and you have added to your overall experience so number 10 on the top 10 predictors of success is experience number nine balance are you balanced as an individual balance is maintaining what needs to be maintained are you completely invested in this uh, skill in terms of you go to practice you go to bed you work as you work on your nutrition you work on your hydration you work before practice you work after practice you know you're out there doing all this stuff but are you balanced do you have a social life that allows you to get away from the constant training or in, in an academic point of view are you spending six or seven hours a night studying that you have no time for social interaction or friends or even on the weekends you're obsessed with getting all of your work done do you have a balance because when people get imbalanced that is a recipe for burnout i've seen students who have come to my classroom and they go home and they work hours on end and i've i've always wondered what are they doing for those hours sometimes they have to there's just some students that have to put that time in commit to doing the extra work sometimes they have to sometimes there are students that just have to sit down and grind it out sometimes these are students who are not necessarily strong at math and have to spend a little more time in math or they're not great at vocabulary acquisition they have to spend a little more time into the vocabulary and i get that but i've noticed 99 percent of the cases of students who spend quote five or six hours a night studying that it's not exactly five or six hours a night it's a hodgepodge of texting friends and you know taking breaks that sometimes were supposed to be 20 30 minutes and turn into 60 to 90 minutes so I rarely find, though it, it's, it does happen, I rarely find that it's a student who truly sits down and studies and grinds out schoolwork four to five to six hours a night. You know, and I even have parents who will say, oh, that's my kid, they work that hard. Really? Do they really work that hard? Or is it just take them that long to get their work done because they're so busy multitasking or so busy, you know, with their phone next to them responding to text messages instead of literally sitting down and getting the work done you know so not not that some kids don't do it and i've had the kids that i truly believe are those kids but i would wager most of them you know you could do better time management and you know staying on task for focuses rather than uh, having their phone near them when they're studying so what we have found is people that do not have a, a work life school social balance are very very prone to burnout they're very likely to burn out on the academics or burn out and practice, burn out on the sport in general,
burn out, you know, in a blaze of glory and end up having all kinds of, you know, issues and performance anxieties and all those things that go with burning out. They lose their love for it, whether they lose their love for practice or competing or love of learning. They are very, very prone to burnout. They are prime candidates for just not making it through the year without some kind of difficulty, not making it through the season. It's just a recipe for burnout if you don't have that balance. When it's time to work, of course you should show up and do your work. But when it's time not to work because you've scheduled it accurately, then you need to do that. I have a friend who, well, a friend from a long time ago, we crossed paths again in college after uh, being, you know, fairly good friends all the way back in like fifth grade. We crossed paths again in college. He was uh, in medical school and I was working towards my uh, history education degree at the time. And we started talking and, you know, he had a job at, at a local grocery store in addition to going to medical school. And we started talking about how he planned every spare moment from week to week to balance his medical school responsibilities and his uh, work responsibilities. And he wanted to keep the job. He liked the extra money. And, you know, he'd been working at public since all the way back in high school. So he planned every 30 minute section of his week. And that included study time and, and study sessions with people and work and he had a pretty set work schedule. His managers completely were supportive of his endeavors. But he also scheduled relaxation time on the weekends. He worked Monday through Friday at school and at Publix. And Saturday was a half day of work. You know, he would sit down and do work and then have the evening open. And even scheduled, you know, work to start a little later on Sunday. So he could go out on Saturday night with friends and, and have relaxation and downtime by choice, by schedule. And then he could come back and work again on Sunday for, you know, another half day and get ready for his week. And it worked for him. And I was very impressed by his awareness that he knew he needed to schedule his work and he needed to schedule his play. And that's a balance. So, you know, the athlete who is super, super obsessed with always being at practice and always, you know, living the Spartan lifestyle and committing 100%, you know, that works for a while. It, it can work, but boy, you really have to be careful of that burnout. You have to maintain a balance. Somebody who's an imbalance does not necessarily predict very well or project very well to being successful in the long run. They might be successful in the short run, but being that obsessed with academics or even athletics can lead to burnout and or injury. So maintaining a balance, number nine. Number eight, education. Now we're not talking solely education in the classical classroom sense, but just education that you have taught yourself, you have learned about this thing you're trying to do, whether it's a more traditional, you've gone to school, you got your degree, you got your graduate degree, and you are moving through the education process. And every time you get another degree or a certification or some kind of knowledge, you are you know, more likely to get that job and be successful at the job because of your, your education level. But we're also talking about vocational training. You know, if you want to be a better plumber, 
then you go out and you learn and you become an apprentice and you, you know, constantly do professional development for, you know, whether it's some kind of vocational skill or a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor, you're always adding to your knowledge base. Now, this is a little different than experience. Experience is a brutal, brutal teacher, but education is one of those things that the more education, the more time you spend reading and more time you spend learning your craft or your, your skill or, you know, studying for that those classes that you find difficult, you're expanding your education, the more likely you are to be successful. So whether it's, it's not necessarily a perfect real, uh, relationship to athletics, but you know, the more education you have, the more you learn, the more you read, the more you expand your knowledge base, not just experience, but the more you acquire knowledge by reading and videos and you know, I can't tell you how much I've valued YouTube, especially when I'm trying to figure out how to fix something around my house. But that's education. You know, you, you are learning new skills and learning new practices on, that you pair with that experience in number 10. And you're probably talking about a pretty successful, you know, or, or likelihood of, of being pretty successful, at whatever you're trying to do. Number seven, self-awareness. Do you know yourself? Do you know what your best study technique is? Do you know whether you're a morning person or an after per afternoon person? Do you know the best time for you to be productive? There are a lot of commonalities here. There's a lot of times that people are pretty good at doing things. The circadian rhythm, which is a natural biological clock that we all have, though it's a little bit off compared to the adult circadian rhythm with teenagers, you know, do you know about yourself? Do you know the best study habits that are effective for you to acquire the information? Are you somebody who needs to read it? Are you somebody who needs to see it? Are you somebody who needs to hold it in your hands and play with it before you really begin to understand how it works. What is the best way for you to acquire information? When is the best time for you to acquire information? I remember many years ago I had a student athlete who struggled every night to get her homework done. She was not an evening person. She was much more of a morning person and we did, you know, we did uh, at that time practices in the afternoon for, for cross country. So she would go home after cross country and she just had a hard time sitting down and doing homework that which needed to be done. She was being recruited by colleges. We needed to keep her GPA up and she would struggle. She would stay up way too late. She was easily distracted. She just wasn't locked in during the evening. So in having conversations with her and with mom and dad, we kind of came to the conclusion that we should send her to bed really early and then have her get up earlier in the morning and do her homework in the morning before school. And it was like it was a completely different person. She woke up, she you know did her morning routine, she sat down and did her homework. Now, of course, she did some of it at night and she always sat down at night and kind of planned what needed to be done in the morning and, and, and got enough done in the evening purposely and, and, you know, with effort to make sure that she wasn't overwhelmed in the morning. But she, you know, as soon as bedtime came, she went to bed, 
She woke up a couple hours early when she was very productive and did her schoolwork in the morning. And it really was a game changer for her to understand what the best time for her to study was that she needed to change her routine. She had to, and this is kind of actually counterintuitive for what we know about teenagers. We usually feel teenagers are a little more active at night and their circadian rhythms of being awake and being asleep is actually a little later in the evening compared to adults. Most adults, their circadian rhythm tells them around 10 o'clock it's time to start going to bed and many people push through that and they carry huge sleep debts and reference the podcast number two on sleep if you're curious about that. And teenagers are a little later than that. You usually get their yearning to go to sleep around 11. But with her getting up early and, and doing school all day and doing cross-country practice, coming home, eating, doing a little bit of the homework at night and getting up early in the morning to, to do her homework before then, it, it really did work for her. So the number seven predictor for success is your own self-awareness. Do you know yourself? Do you know that you cannot have your cell phone next to you when you're studying because you will be too easily tempted? Do you know that you need to set a timer when you're studying for 30 minutes of, of stay focused on task, do what you need to do, take a 15 minute break? Does that work for you? Or are you somebody who just needs to kind of sit down and do it and leave your phone in another room because the temptation's too great? Whatever that may be, what kind of studier are you? What kind of athlete are you? Do you know that you're tempted with certain junk foods during the season? And do you need to do you need to tell your parents not to buy this particular kind of junk food during the season because you yourself are too tempted by it? That's self-awareness to know your strengths, know your limitations, know the things that you need to do to be better. Do you need to do your supplemental training in the morning before school because you know doing it at night just doesn't work for you you always get a little distracted and you know as a coach I would always tell my runners especially during the summer when we had less structured practices that they should get up and and do the workout in the morning wake up get your run done and then go on with your day because if you keep pushing it off till the end of the day inevitably at around seven o'clock you're thinking about going for your run but you're thinking about not going because you've had all day to think about not doing it and your friends call and say hey we're going to the movies you want to go and of course you want to go so you go now you're getting home it's 10 o'clock maybe even 11 o'clock and you you stopped after the movies to get something to eat and your stomach doesn't feel quite right and now you're supposed to lace up your shoes to go and run and but you know you have a morning run uh, scheduled with your with your teammates now you're like, well, do I go for my run, you know, knowing that I have to run in the morning and, you know, I won't have much time to recover. And now you're, you're behind the eight ball when this could have all been avoided with 24 hours of rest between runs if you had just gotten up and done it in the morning. So do you know how to handle yourself and what your strengths and weaknesses are? And if you do, that is a strong predictor of success because you're actually more likely to set up an environment that caters to your strengths and you know minimizes your weakness if you are aware, if you are self-aware of how you do things and how things should go for you and how things work for you. If you don't know those things, you're less likely to be successful. So number seven, self-awareness. Number six, and this usually catches people a little off guard if you're 
have never seen this list before or anything like it. Number six in terms of predictors of success, intelligence. Doesn't even make the top five. Smart people are a dime a dozen. Everybody listening to this podcast will think of somebody when I give you this example of the really smart, lazy kid. Everybody goes, ah, I knew a guy like that or I knew a girl like that. And sometimes you look in the mirror like, yeah, I was that guy. I was the smart, lazy kid. They they do well on the test simply because they're that smart. They coast through elementary school and middle school almost by osmosis. It's like they just put the textbook under their pillow the night before a test and it just magically went into their brain. They get A's without even really trying. They're wicked, wicked smart, but they have not learned how to do the work. So intelligence is not even in the top five in terms of predictors of success because being smart isn't enough. Being smart can get you in the door. Being smart can get you a ticket to the show. That's where it ends. It doesn't do anything else. It can only get you in the door. It doesn't get you through the rest of the party. It doesn't get you any of the other perks. So it's not even in the top five terms of predictors of success because we know so many smart people who just can't find a way to make it work they're, you know, and I see this a lot in my classroom, the procrastinating slackers who've always gotten away with getting A's and doing enough the night before. And it's almost like a badge of honor to pull the all-nighter. They're all excited about it and they brag to their friends, oh, I started it at midnight, I finished at 6 a.m. and here I am. You know, but I guarantee you that, that same level of intelligence kid who's been working on it for two weeks is going to far, far outperform the kid that did it the night before. And, you know, the curse of high school and, you know, entry-level academics is that they're both going to get an A. But what happens when they go to college and the kid who has been working on things for a long time and, and takes pride in it and does the extra effort, he or she hands in her project compared to the kid who does it the night before. They may both get A's, but which one do you think is going to get the offer for grad school? Which is the one that you think the professors are saying, hey, that's a kid who goes above and beyond. That's a kid I'll write a recommendation for him. That's a kid I want working with me on my internship compared to the genius, incredibly smart, procrastinating slacker. I don't want that person working for my company. That person, the procrastinating slacker, is not an asset to my program. I don't want them. I'll take the worker. I'll take the worker who actually has a little bit lower intelligence who is willing to give me the best effort because you know somebody who's just really smart while that is a predictor of success and intelligence is a wonderful gift and you should enjoy it it doesn't make the top five because it's not enough we all know that really smart person who handed in things late if at all and thought the work was all beneath them again why do i want that person in my company why do i want that person on my team why do i want that person representing me or working for me, but it is a predictor of success. Smarter people typically have more likelihood of being successful. We just need them to use it. So I'm going to stop there for this particular podcast, getting close to the 25-minute mark, and we've done the top or the, the 
you know, 10 through 6 of top 10 predictors of success. And again, it doesn't matter what predictors we're talking about, whether it's academic, athletic, whatever. And counting down, again, we had number 10, experience, number 9, balance, number 8, education, number 7, self-awareness, and number 6, intelligence. On the next episode of the Relax to Go podcast, we're going to do numbers 5, 4, and 3. And we'll spend a little bit of more time kind of going into depth. Because remember, these are counting down in order of importance. And having numbers 6 through 10 are important. But if you have and can develop numbers 1 through 5, that is really, really a good thing and a good measure of predictor of success. So until the next time, just relax and go. If you'd like to reach out to me at the Relax and Go podcast, feel free to email me at relaxandgoperformance at gmail.com. You send me an email, tell me a show suggestion, tell me, hey, make more podcasts, or you have a topic suggestion you'd like me to dive into, feel free to email me at relaxandgoperformance at gmail.com.